This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy Woo! and sadness oh. and anger. Ah. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. Ah. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. Ah. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello and welcome to another episode of But Why. I cannot believe I am quite going to say this... But today's guest is none other than Dr. Nicola Perra, a.k.a. the Holistic Psychologist. How do I even begin to describe how I feel about her? I'm just a massive fan and not in a kind of celeb crush kind of way, but because the work that she puts out on her Instagram account, which now has a whopping 3.4 million followers, has helped me in so many ways and yeah I'm just really grateful for the work she does. She's also I think the first time I've interviewed anyone for a podcast who isn't in the UK so my first international guest which threw up a whole can of worms for me because I am a person who loves structure, I love routine. Ideally I like to try and record on the same day of the week at the same time because that's how I roll but of course that doesn't work when someone lives in a massively different time zone to you. So we actually had to record in the evening which I tried to act casual about, but actually had a bit of a breakdown about. And this is exactly the kind of thing that we are talking about in this episode, about understanding our own patterns, our own habits, understanding what makes us tick. Now, I'm never going to become someone who's easy breezy, no routine, but I can understand that it's just how I roll that I like structure and knowing when to work within that and when to push myself to have the flexibility. Anyway, none of this is relevant. What is relevant is to talk a bit about Dr. Lepera's background. She is a trained clinical psychologist. What is interesting about her is having set up a very successful practice and having a huge client book, she found that personally she was still feeling very empty which led her into the kind of work that she's in now and that is to say that therapy can only go so far therapy that you do within a clinical setting is brilliant but that needs to be supported by what she calls self-healing now what's interesting to me and what really is the crux of this episode is how do we talk about therapy and self-help to those who aren't interested in it, who think it's not for them, who are concerned that it is opening up a can of worms. I propose that, but why is therapy something that everybody should do? The thing that is of interest to me is that there are those of us, I include myself, who are well and truly converted to this way of thinking. I am signed up to all kinds of therapy. I make self-healing a part of my day-to-day work. But what about the people maybe who are listening or maybe who you know who think that is categorically not for them, who think that therapy is 
opening a can of worms, that it's not necessary, that you can just carry on as you are. That is what we drill into today. We talk about boundaries, we talk about patterns in relationships, we talk about unpicking your emotions, and we talk about learning to live more consciously. But rather than talking about what I'm going to talk about, why don't we just crack on with the episode? This isn't where I was planning to start, but I'm going to go with it. It's quite a strange thing, isn't it? And you're on a much more, much bigger scale than I have. But if you're someone who is perpetually working on themselves to then find themselves in a hugely public platform when there's so much internal work that is actually going on. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting thing. And actually me creating the platform of the holistic psychologist itself <clears throat> back in July, I think it was 2018, was actually an exercise in my own healing journey around speaking my truth, living in alignment after I had observed upon myself for quite some time and came to the realization that I had, I didn't do that. My typical pattern was to filter my truth, um, typically through how I imagined it would be received by others and tweak then how I present it myself in all of the ways. And this even was how I embodied my being. So the exercise of creating a space without knowing obviously how many eyes would be on it. I had no anticipation that it would be the numbers that it now is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I said, for me, it was just an exercise in challenging myself to create a safe space where I could begin to share myself in a different way than I had before. And do you think that you are able to show up as your authentic self on that, generally speaking? I attempt to. Um, I also understand that there are obviously limits in terms of what can be presented on social media and the lens which it can be presented and obviously limitations around, I mean, even simplistic things such as word count and all of that. Um, So I speak and think a lot about social media and how it is being used, Um, though, yeah, my intention is always to speak my truth. Um, at all times when I'm sharing, whether it's the content um, that I'm speaking of, or as I often share my own process of healing. Yeah. And also knowing it's such a wrangle to know when to put some boundaries in for yourself, because it, it, it can sometimes catch you on a way you can be going on a really great rhythm and it can be feeling good. And then something shifts probably because of other stuff. And then to go, oh no, I can, I can choose to step away from this. And that, yeah, you have to, it's, hard sometimes to catch it, isn't it? Yeah. Boundaries. I mean, I think, and I, I consider boundaries in all aspects of my life as integral in terms of my own healing. So as that human who filtered my truth, um, through everyone else's lens, um, a lot of what I was doing was violating my own boundaries in a lot of ways. So for me, um, creating that space of safety um, translates to all of my relationships, including mm-hmm. my presence on social media. Mm-hmm. It's also one of the hardest things and has been and still is the hardest thing for me to do, to put up that limit or that space or to separate myself um, from circumstances or interactions that don't feel safe to me as a human. Um, and that's in a continued conversation, I think, for those of yeah. us that do interact with the virtual sphere because it they are relationships of a certain degree yeah. all the same and so boundaries apply all of the same because if you were to sit and really get your head around that you're holding space for I mean as of today like 3.4 million people it's absolutely mind-blowing isn't it <laughs> mind-blowing and sometimes overwhelming I mean yeah. I was sharing 
with with Furcon when I came in today that today is one of those days I have this hat on that I would like to just put it over my face and mm-hmm. you know vanish myself. I spent some time in the shower and a ball curled up because it does take an emotional toll um, mm-hmm. holding space. Uh, separating myself from all of the opinions that are, you know, thrown about in the world and all of the projections. And there is a lot of the emotional piece of things that, again, warrant boundaries, warrant me to take the responsibility and honor my limits. So there are times where that means I have to put the phone down and, you know, not interact um, through social media at any given time. Um, because I know that on days, especially like today, where my resources are are more limited than not, I I put my I put myself in the interaction at risk. Meaning, if I don't have my own capacity um, to separate and to create uh, emotional regulation around something that might be upsetting, I, like everyone else, might become reactive. Mm. Um, and I apply the same principle in my relationships. Meaning, I have to know where my limits are. I have to know when I'm approaching them, mm. and it really benefits the people that I love around me when I honor that. And when Mm. I say, Hey, I need a minute and I need to just go into myself and regain some of my resources Mm. so that when I come back to you, I can be a safe person. I can be an authentic (laughs) person. And I can actually hold that space for you Mm. without becoming reactive as a lot of us do. Well, thank you so much for for being here today because I actually don't underestimate like even an, an hour's intimate conversation with someone especially talking about the kind of work that you're talking about it, it is firing on all cylinders and it and it does take a huge emotional toll so thank you especially if you're in I think we both sound like we're in the mood where we want to hide from the world I'm wondering what's going on with the planets I'm sure the answer is there something that is doing this and it must be. It must be. And I reflect that right back to you, Clemmy. Thank you for holding the space for me, for this conversation as you do outside of even with me today, um, but just for how you show up in the world. Thanks very much. I mean, and the kind of number one, I'm a, are you into astrology at all or not? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a Pisces. It's Pisces season. And um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to go straight into this really big bit of so I'm in the middle of doing EMDR at the moment, which for anybody, could you explain it maybe better than I can? Absolutely. Um, so EMDR is actually incredibly helpful um, for those of us who have experienced uh, trauma. And I think a lot of the symptoms that come along with the trauma experience, essentially what it is, is using eye movement um, to stimulate each side. I'm really simplifying it, but to stimulate bilaterally stimulate the different sides of your your brain um, while you're rethinking or reliving um, an emotionally difficult experience. And we've come to find in the field that by bilaterally stimulating either through eye movement, I think even I have these um, stimulators that you hold in your hands and they stimulate each same thing, um, but it actually helps the way the memory is stored and then metabolized because a lot of the difficulty with trauma is it becomes stuck in us in many different ways for EMDR purposes. You know, the belief is as is true, it becomes stuck in the way our brain functions around the trauma memory. And of course, if anyone listens to my work, you know, I often add in the body um, and the many ways that our body, our trauma body in a sense becomes stuck um, with the, the main point being EMDR is an incredibly helpful tool because trauma no matter when it happened in our life is something that many of us carry with us and continue to paint over our present moment 
typically, this is beautiful how this ties together in the form of that reactivity or that mm-hmm. difficulty with tolerating our or others' emotions around us. So for those of us who experienced it, you'll always hear me talking. And this is why I speak about holistic work, um, because for, for many of us, it, it isn't enough just to think a new thought or just to reframe what happened to us. We actually need additional support like EMDR or like, you know, body-based somatic trauma work. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I'm really conscious of not talking about the work that I'm doing when I'm in the middle of doing it, but one of the outcomes of it is that I'm getting better at like when I feel a feeling it coming out straight away, which I'm like someone who's never cries in a public setting. I keep bursting into tears and not in a not in a bad way. It's like, I feel this, it's coming out and then it's gone. But it's really weird for me. <laughs> I'm like, wow, this is, this is how I behave now. And hi, tears. Mm-hmm. Same. I can resonate with that for a very long time. Um, anyone who's listened to me speak before probably has heard me reference my spaceship. Um, and that spaceship was really successful at keeping me very distanced and far away from my emotions. And I'm sure those of you who are aware that, you know, my background is in being a clinical psychologist where, mm-hmm. you know, seemingly I went to school to learn how to help others with their emotions. And here I was completely blindsided as I began to safely drop into my body with emotions. Um, even now, there are still moments where I struggle to recognize, to release, and to do so maybe in a more public setting. I have that same urge to just stuff it down and mm. put on the smiling face and tell everyone that I'm okay, um, when in reality, I'm not. And to ask and to receive support, we have to vulnerably put ourselves out there mm. um, for support. My therapist also said, Clemmy, being able to talk about your emotions isn't the same as being able to show them. And I was like, wow, that's on the money. Yeah. And I think a lot of us that what she's highlighting very astutely is what I see a pretty universal um, overemphasis uh, on doing, right, as opposed to on being. So even talking, thinking, right, can be an action of doing. And a lot of us, I mean, I'll be the first to admit, um, while I say I don't really share my emotions, I will tell you one emotion I love to talk about, which is stress. Um, And I was what I call an emotional dumper. I love to go to my friends and give them the litany of things that had upset me in a given week or that I was stressed out about. Um, But really learning how to embody the rest of my emotions was Mm -hmm. incredible difficult. So I think a lot about us just as humans, quite universally, even at this point. And I think a lot of us tend to shift into doing mode, um, as opposed to learning how to be in sometimes that means being in our feelings, even when they're difficult. And actually, I'm going to rewind a bit to kind of set the scene for people who don't know some of what on earth we're talking about, but also feelings when we're in this context, people are jumping to all the, the difficult feelings. This is also learning to feel all the, the I don't want to say positive because all feelings are useful, but you you tune out of those as well. That's what's really significant. Absolutely. So that spaceship, not, it didn't not only did it keep me away from the the tough, the overwhelming, the difficult feelings, it kept me away from joy, mm. um, from pure presence and even love that I think is born out of a moment of being fully in reception of whatever is happening in that moment. Um, and yeah, so it does kind of span those of us who become 
overwhelmed by emotions do sometimes shut down ourselves to even the emotions that we're seeking um, yeah. many of us experience and then then you're on this perpetual thing to try and access them through other means you know yeah and then yeah oh it's 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 so big so to go back a step if we're to go like entry level I don't want to say man person on the street can you explain a little bit about you and the work that you do and the whole thing that we've just dived quite deep into (laughs) yeah backing it up um we kind of are already illustrating the shift uh, that I saw in my own self really that translated to my work um, several years ago. So after intuitively really being inspired to understand people, um, I very quickly was marching, you know, the path of becoming a clinical psychologist. I took all, I took the one psychology class in high school that was offered. I entered Cornell University as a declared psychology major. I really couldn't get enough um, of educating myself on how to understand people. Mm-hmm. Um, so finally, um, after t- several years of schooling, I opened up the practice and I put my shingle out, if you will. And here I was, you know, to help people understand or so I thought themselves better. And several years in, Clemmy, I started to really begin to feel incredibly disempowered, um, not only with myself as a human who continued to cycle um, the same stress reactions, the same dissatisfactions in really all of my relationships, the same lack of fulfillment that I was describing earlier because I was so disconnected really from life. And I began to see those same cycles in my, in my patients and my clients, um, that week after week, no matter how much insight, how much game planning we did to, Mm -hmm. you know, create a new pattern in this next moment, um, you know, agreeing that that would be helpful to do yet week after week at that point, year after year, I would continue to hear reports with increasing frustration and increasing disempowerment of that inability to create change. So, I really sought to understand that and to understand why all of the work that I had been trained to do wasn't actually translating into action for myself and and for these other humans. Um, And what I began to realize, like I was offering earlier when I introed the the body and the role that the body plays, is that we we do have a body um, and we have a mind, a body, and as far as I see it, a soul, an indescribable essence or the uniqueness that makes me me and you, you. Um, And what I realized was that I wasn't honoring how those pieces or parts of ourself interact. um, And that oftentimes it was what I call misalignments in any or all of those areas that were contributing to that stuckness that was being repeated, despite, like I said, increasing amounts of insight and awareness, Mm -hmm. which living that experience, I can go ahead and say that from my experience of it is one of the most frustrating, disempowering places to be. Mm. Yeah. Just, yeah. No one wants to feel stuck, do they? But, and Mm. it's such a difference between understanding the theories of something and, and seeing the shifts. What there's a voice in my head of, of those people out there who think, all of this, like even therapy in the in the purest sense, right over to what we're touching on, isn't for them. And when you're at this place that I am on my journey, I, I think that is couldn't be less true. It's for everybody. But there's this real belief that you're opening a can of worms when you're getting in into this, or that you might not be a person that needs to be healed. Do you think 
everybody can benefit from self-healing work. I think everyone can benefit from the self-awareness um, mm -hmm. and the empowerment that comes with living consciously um, that healing offers. And I hear that a lot too with this idea and even a concern around going to my past and digging around and reliving mm -hmm. these very difficult things that happened to me um, with the question being, what's the point You know, of what use is it? Um, and I often share my own story. So a byproduct of my spaceship for me resulted in very limited memories about my childhood. I actually don't have much to go and revisit on my movie screen of my past. Um, so when I get any version of that question, which, you know, why do I need to go back and unearth this? I respond, you know, in a very similar way, which is that you don't, you don't, you don't necessarily have I am a human as, and as I began to share my limited memory, I am, became aware of how many of us humans don't have those really kind of mass memories of childhood for similar reasons, mm. because we weren't present to put like in code, as we say, to create the memory to then revisit back to. So to those people and myself included, my offering is always observe yourself in life, evaluate, right? What are you doing day to day? How mm -hmm. are you experiencing your day to day? How is it to be in your physical body? Do you feel well or unwell? How do your relationships feel, right? Do they feel fulfilling? Do you feel expansive or do they feel constricting and not fulfilling? And I think most of us, as we become honestly aware of ourselves, mm -hmm. right, can see possibly a habit or pattern or two, or maybe more, that you could create change around. So you don't have to go in and, and rethink about the hard, difficult things. We could really just use our day-to-day -day experiences mm -hmm. to determine how successful or unsuccessful we feel in any of those areas. Because I'm of the belief that we're repeating the habits and patterns that were formed in that past time. So we don't have to necessarily go back and view it no. to understand it because we're living it. Yeah. I'm also thinking about you're a big advocate for for widening our concept of of what trauma is, and actually the, the pandemic is a great example of that because I think we've all been guilty of like we are supremely stressed, but we go oh, but I know that it could be a lot worse. I know that you know people have lost relatives to COVID, so I've got no right to complain that I've had my children at home or that my finances are under stress. But actually, that is a really great example that your your trauma isn't necessarily the, the things that we attribute to trauma, is it? Yeah, I, I go as far to say that or suggest that we unhook the definition of trauma from the event itself, mm -hmm. um, determining that based on degree, we can label it a trauma or not, and actually redefine trauma based because this is this is the definition on the response on how it affected me. And that allows us to honor that we all have different capabilities to tolerate our environment for many different factors in different ways. Um, so some of us might not have had those big T traumas, as we say, those big cataclysmic before and after type mm -hmm. events, as I myself didn't, um, yet still struggle to tolerate and to cope with the emotional, you know, fallout of the environments that were living. And for me, I carried a lot of shame. I was that person who 
as part of my clinical training, Clemmy, I worked in all different types of, of contexts. I worked in inpatient units. I worked with people that were incarcerated, that were on parole, that were suffering mm-hmm. with substance um, using difficulties, et cetera, who actually, you know, had the big bad things or so mm-hmm. I thought that happened to them. And for a very long time, I carried shame wondering why I was struggling in very similar ways mm-hmm. that they were. And I came to understand again that, it's not necessarily what happens to us. Um, it's how we perceive our ability to cope with what happens to us. And when we do fall into some state of overwhelm, the issue is because our nervous system becomes dysregulated. So like I was talking about earlier, having to honor or needing to honor the body and the body's role, specifically the nervous system in what is happening as a result or our adaptation from our experiences. And there's a, there's a few things I'm thinking as you're speaking. Number one, how something looks on the outside isn't nece- necessarily how it feels on the inside. So just because, yeah, you might have the, the bits that add up to a great life doesn't, A, doesn't like make sense of what's happening behind closed doors and how you feel is how you feel. You can't, you know, you don't have to justify that. And also often I've found when I've had the more big trauma events, I, I, will not sail through them but I I get through them and then it's a a seemingly much smaller thing that will upend me and that's the thing about life they're all they're all mashed together you don't always have the big reaction to the big thing and the small reaction to the small thing yeah yeah and 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 regardless if you're feeling disempowered around your reactions um chances are again there's that dysregulation at play um because a lot of this most of this is happening outside of our awareness um being driven by our subconscious mind um which is in service of protecting us. Um, So it really is kind of scanning, scanning, scanning and setting us up to live in that very patterned reactive way. Mm -hmm. So anytime you feel out of control, Mm -hmm. um, again, this is arts because perhaps our our, our nervous system or our body is kicking in Mm -hmm. um, to elicit the reaction at that point as opposed to us and our conscious self. And now for a little bit of a shameless plug from my own book, But Why? How to Answer Tricky Questions from Kids by Having an Honest Conversation with Yourself, which covers a huge trunk on relationships, including, but why won't that person be my best friend? Even saying it out loud makes me shudder. It's the one every parent dreads, and it's one that we can all relate to in the playground. But um, I spoke to some brilliant people. I unpicked it. I came up with some answers and some frameworks, including thinking about your own friendships and how you're modeling friendships for your children. Anyway, you can find out more about that in the book itself, which is available to pre-order now from all good bookshops or via the link in the show notes. It's so fascinating. This is a complete by by point. But I went um, on Audible today to look up your book, and it sat between the body knows the score and Untamed. And I thought that's a great place for it to be. Please, that's where that's where totally space between both of those books. <laughs> yeah, so I thought that that's you know the algorithm or whoever's buying it is it's it's doing what it's meant to do. And another like challenging conversation I've had actually with a friend, and I think other people will relate to this, is like he's he said, Why, Clemmy, why are you always like on something? Why are you always doing something? Why is there always like you're doing CBT or you're you're doing EMDR? And 
my defensive reaction to that was like, well, I wish I didn't have to. But then I don't know if I mean that really. Like I, I categorically feel all the feelings and that isn't always easy, but it does mean that I'm like living life in hypercolor. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times, you know, whether we wish we didn't have to or, you know, we kind of accept what has happened to us, whatever it is for us is our feeling and is valid. Mm -hmm. um, part of our journey, I do know a lot of us have that voice of invalidation. Um, and we do have very real a lot of, you know, feelings of around the difficulty as we become witness to ourselves and to how we how we carry our past with us it's quite natural to wish we didn't, to wish those mm. things didn't happen, to wish that didn't result in me being where I'm at now, right? With the accumulation of whatever has happened as a result. Now here I am having to be the one who steps forward to create change. And that's perfectly natural and normal to wish we didn't have to. There's many moments where I desperately wished for doneness. Um, I call it my utopian hippie yeah. hammock where I could just like, throw my peace sign and not worry about it anymore. Um, I'm still, you know, wondering if that exists. I don't believe mm -hmm. that, it does, but I can resonate with that idea that I just wish I didn't have to. And that's totally a normal, honorable part that of our journey. It's, it's a bit of a wild concept, isn't it? That probably in a few years time, I'll be trying to unpick some of the stuff that I think I'm doing quite well now. And it, I think that's a, a real thing that we all have to get over that we don't, I'm sorry, pinging, um, that we, we don't become this finished product. I think, you know, if you think back to when you were a kid, you're like, yeah, when I'm 20, I am going to know what's going on. And then there's a great meme going around Instagram saying 18-year-old me would like to apologize to all the 30-year-olds <laughs> I thought were old. It's just like you, you, never, you never get there, but you do get to know yourself better. Mm -hmm. And I believe that's the goal um, because I know one thing about uh, being this human experience, and I know that this is a difficult uh, aspect of our human experience to accept, though the reality of it is it's ever-changing. Mm -hmm. um, we're an evolving being. I mean, even just in terms of linear age, I'm aging. I don't know, actually. My body is a 38-year-old body right now. I don't know how a 48-year-old body will feel no. and what that experience will bring up or a 58, right? So we don't actually know. We are actually an evolution in progress. So this idea, and I think a lot of us have it, that if I just came up with you know, steps one through three, I'll just repeat this throughout life, my argument to that might be steps one through three might not honor your ever-changing needs as you age into the decades. And also, it, for me, it tends to be that, like, I'll do some stuff that's good for my head and then suddenly, like, oh, no, yeah, now my body needs me to kind of um, match up with that because, like, I'm just talking about my own therapy, but with the EMDR, I've now checked today that I've been doing some pretty full-on emotional eating and I hadn't really seen that and so and so then you go okay I need to be a bit kinder with what I'm putting into my body and I I'm, that doesn't come with any punishment I just know that that is a reaction to it so I'm, like, I'm trying to stop some beeping on my phone I don't know how to make it work sorry t t can you still hear me with that silent yeah I hear you mm -hmm. yeah I know you can't I'm just gonna the problem is with Apple products the phone is linked up to the laptop <laughs> and I don't know how to stop it. So we'll just have to soldier on. Um, yeah. Do you think that's the truth that you, it's very hard to work simultaneously with these different elements of us? 
very hard to do so. And yet we need, it is helpful for us to honor that our mind and body are connected and are in communication um, at all times. So, right, changing thoughts, you know, affect our affects our body. However, if our body is in that state of dysregulation, so for instance, if my body is in a stress response, if my nervous system is activated and my body is in fight or flight mode, it's going to send that signal. My mind will be scanning my body to see what's up. And it will register the cortisol, the adrenaline, the markers of that nervous system activation. And it will then try to understand, which usually for me and for many of us is the experience of racing thoughts, of endless worries, of always looking for the issue, right? That's that's scanning our environment or our experiences for the stressor. So that's just a prime example of why I believe it's incredibly important to honor that interconnection um, because our body is constantly sending our mind messages that our mind then is responding to often again, keeping us locked. So the work on both has to be honored and part of the healing journey. I've just, ri- I've also just written a book called, but why as well, but it's for children. And, uh, and uh, one of the questions is, but why do I feel feelings? And yeah, it's such a huge thing for me to understand that your body can't, talk so when when you as feeling angry that's your body saying i'm hungry or when you're feeling yeah ratty it's because your body's saying i'm, I'm tired and it's so obvious but it's just you would just not necessarily taught to understand the signals like that and 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 instead can it can be really common just to try and get rid of them but rather than to offer our body what it needs Yes, our our emotions. I love that you're pointing this out very astutely, Clemmy. Are our our body's messengers? Yeah. Um, and if you are like me, right, on the spaceship, suppressing our emotions as a lot of us do, because um, we were either taught directly to or indirectly, you know, kind of as a result of our environments, didn't feel safe um, to express our emotions. Um, that's definitely you know a big a big aspect of it um, in terms of the repression. Um, so if we don't hear those messages, we don't give ourselves the gift, the opportunity. Mm-hmm. This is also what holistic means to me of understanding what's driving them. What is the imbalance? Is there an imbalance in my body? Mm-hmm. Um, is this emotional, the result of a pre- suppressed feelings or again, childhood wounding that I'm carrying with us. So holistic to me means again, honoring the mind, the body and the soul, that essence piece, and also acknowledging that most of the cycles that we're stuck in, whether it's feelings or, or repressing our feelings or our relationship patterns or our way of being contains a message. Mm-hmm. Um, so pull back and witness and allow them to come to the surface despite their discomfort and despite how uncomfortable it is for many of us to begin um, to acknowledge some of these messengers, that there's value in that of understanding the driving force. It's, I'm, I'm listening to you and thinking for some people, they would hear your spaceship analogy and and possibly think that that's a, that's a great solution, like to, to have tuned out, to hold it all together at all points, to not be the the messy thing. Because the problem is the, not the problem. The part of doing the work is messy, and 
will make it will at times I think make it feel like everything's falling apart a bit and that is kind of the opposite of what we're taught isn't it especially again in this world of social media of holding it all together this glossy facade and it, it I guess it's to acknowledge that it it it's absolutely worth doing but it is an act of bravery I think to to like dig into your own stuff yeah and I think it for a lot of us um this kind of entry into these awarenesses is an inevitable thing that happens um because what I believe and what I define I, I speak a lot about dark night of the soul um really kind of honoring at least what I believe that to be and and I think it's only a matter of time before yeah. that that misalignment in any or all of those areas, not honoring my body physically, not honoring my emotions or not allowing my spirit or my essence to express itself. Um, what I believe happens is a multitude, and it looks different for each of us, of either the physical symptomology that happens as a result of that continued misalignment or right, mm -hmm. the psychological, the just you know, lack of fulfillment, the like flatness, like you said, if I'm not feeling any feelings, I'm not feeling any feelings and I'm not feeling life. So I think for many of us, it's only a matter of time and it happens at different ages um, before we get to that point of not being able to, those symptoms break through, we enter into that space where our soul is literally screaming out. Um, and then our journey, um, for me at least, was in understanding, okay, why am I um, because to speak to a point you made earlier, I had checked all of the boxes by the time mm -hmm. I really began to descend into this dark night of the soul. I had the successful practice. Mm -hmm. I had the relationship. I was living in a city. I was doing everything I thought I wanted. So from the outside looking in, um, life looked great, you know, mm -hmm. to people. So for me, it was really confusing at first mm -hmm. why I was so physically and emotionally crappy. Um, but like I said, I now understand that as the dark night of the soul experience, which looks different for each of us, but really does come um, when we've just been living out of alignment for so long that for many of us, it causes us to just begin to question. Mm -hmm. And then many of us enter a path of self-exploration. Yeah, I do. I completely agree. I don't think... I think the human existence will eventually get to you. I'm also wondering, and I think that the, the experience of COVID has been different, but definitely in this country when we've had all bar three months in lockdown in the last year, are you beginning to see it like the impact of that on people in this journey is accelerating? Because I'm seeing it kind of go one of two ways, like anecdotally, if I've seen people have, some people are finding themselves actually, and some people I think will have accelerated into the dark night kind of analogy. Yeah, I think you're you're right in terms of uh, what COVID and this whole pandemic, um, the way I think about it and describe it is COVID, you know, life shifting quite literally on a dime as it did, which mm. is the most simple in the most simple way we're life we don't go to the same job in the same way taking the same route and anytime our autopilot right the things that we just typically habitually do every day that also includes the thoughts we think about that job and right that all of the things we do and the feelings we have about it anytime we're interrupted from life as usual this is why transitions are hard when we go from a student to the workforce right or we move and life is just different. I don't have that same route. For a lot of us, it does bring up discomfort, namely in the form of anxiety or, or something that's uncomfortable. Um, and that's because anytime we're shifted, we're made to shift because of our external circumstances out of our autopilot, 
it's challenging for our subconscious. Mm-hmm. Our subconscious prefers the familiar mm-hmm. because according to our evolution, the familiar is possibly safer, likely safer than the unfamiliar mm-hmm. because within the unfamiliar could be a threat that could actually cause harm. So bringing that back to COVID, I would go ahead and say COVID's been an incredible pattern interrupt for all of us, causing us that discomfort, obviously more complicated than by the many insecurities that so many of us are facing now as a result, Mm -hmm. financial health, the loss that might come along with actual real medical people getting COVID that we know and becoming ill or dying. And then finally, where are we now? Are we home? Mm -hmm. Are we in relationships, right, where our time is being spent differently or with different people that might, again, be challenging us. So for many different reasons, COVID, I think, is activating our deeper subconscious Mm -hmm. wound, namely around trauma for most of us humans. Because, well, there's a few things. One, we... You, you couldn't keep cruising like anything that you were hiding by in your by going to work or by the way you were socializing they're all those kind of distractions were gone you know whether that means you're st- at home with your family or you're at home alone it's kind of two extremes of that it's really fascinating the other interesting thing for me that I found showed up a lot is that we're really used to having our support network and that we go to and when everybody is going through a a trauma a small t trauma at the same time it's a very unusual thing isn't it where you we all really had to have had to dig deep in ourselves to a point yeah support relationships um they are integral to our life as humans and to our healing journey and you know as they think either we're forced into relationships and or we're looking around for support around the current relationships we have um it's a challenging aspect um, because the reality for many of us is that you know as far as i see it most of us are operating within what i call trauma bonds our very familiar relationship patterns um, that most of us practice since our earliest relationships, which oftentimes don't fully serve that whole self as we become adults. Yet, because of our habit self, we continue to show up. Typically, this is how I describe it, playing the same roles that we Mm -hmm. always play. We're the helper, we're the caretaker. Um, We do all of the things. So, Relationships itself um, are a big part of healing. As we become aware, we begin to witness how we show up in relationships, how much we utilize others for support. Mm -hmm. Do we authentically go and share? I think a lot about relationships and, and, and asking and gaining support in them. And I always have to remind myself and others that to gain support from someone else, a couple things have had to happen first. I need to be in alignment with myself to know I need support. Mm-hmm. being honest with myself that I'm struggling in some way, which for many of us is, is a whole battle in and of itself to become vulnerable, to drop into our bodies, to say I'm feeling whatever it is I'm feeling, honestly, without denying, distracting, you know, telling, uh, disavowing, saying, oh, that's not a big deal, right? So we have to honor it. And then I have to very vulnerably, bravely, right? communicate that, ask someone, say, hey, you know, loved one, whomever you might be, here I am in my authenticity, in my whatever feeling it is, and I'm in need um, of support. And for many different reasons, most of us aren't really operating in that way in our relationship. We're either not honoring ourselves in our emotional world, honestly and authentically, and or 
it's very difficult to very vulnerably ask someone um, to be supported in that authentic way that I believe most of us are attempting to create that authenticity in our relationships mm -hmm. as opposed to, like I was referencing earlier, that pseudo self or that role. We want to show up and be who we are. So to do that, like I said, we have a whole process that has to happen first. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. It's so fascinating. I'm thinking a couple of things as you're speaking. I said, oh, I haven't had the support network. I haven't been able to access my support network. That is the opposite of what's been going on. My default is to try and help everybody. And when everybody is, everybody needs help, you have to go, I need to, you know, to use that analogy, but I need to put my own oxygen mask on. And that's, yeah, it's a real pattern to break, isn't it? You know, I cannot, we can't all be there for everyone. And I've, something I've definitely noticed is that my friendship group has reduced right down in the last year. And, and that's, I, I don't think it's a bad thing. It's probably, as you say, the people that I show up as my authentic self with, because we, because none of us had the capacity to put on the facade, you just go, oh, I'm, I can show up as me here. So it's just you few people. Yeah, same. I mean, me for me, a big part of the shifts and changes in my life really did center around me in relation to others. Mm -hmm. um, so really creating change, really putting up boundaries, really learning how to embody safely myself first for me before I could present that for someone else was a really big part of my journey. Because I know that if you're someone like yourself or like me, looking outside to help others, to show up for others while on the one hand, and many of us have been taught this, um, some of our culture um, translates this belief, which is that it's selfless. It's what we need to do, right? I've even grown up in a family um, where the mantra coming from second, a second generation Italian immigrant, where it's very much um, a collectivist idea that family is everything. And I am not um, refuting that. I, again, know that you know, in our DNA, we are all interpersonal creatures. We need the emotional support of other people. However, if we're not doing it authentically, if we're not honoring ourselves and our own needs, and like we talked about earlier, honoring our limits, mm -hmm. right? What happens is we get really angry at the world around us, including mm -hmm. our friends, right? We begin to point, and I've done this, I'll just speak from my own experience, even with romantic relationships, I began to point the finger. Mm -hmm. Well, you're and you're not supporting me in this way with this idea that if I find the right person, my needs will be met. Not realizing that there was no right person because I need to honor my needs to then communicate them to said person. So I'm trying to flip this idea of selfish on its head and say to show up in service of one person or the collective as some of us are, you know, showing up to serve, that can only happen when we are whole ourselves. Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more like that whole there's a piece of like traumatic language in my head which is like the world doesn't revolve around you Clemmy yeah but my world does revolve around me that doesn't that doesn't mean that I, I go around not thinking about anyone else but you you have to 
yeah, like prioritize yourself. And I think that's such a misunderstanding that, that, that they're two things, that putting yourself first doesn't mean trampling over other people. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And so because honoring ourselves, also the byproduct of that becomes we really do become aware of how we affect the world around us, how we're showing up mm-hmm. in our relationships. And obviously then what the byproducts are of that. Um, and again, until we're whole, until we're honoring ourselves, we're going to, most of us are going to continue to look outside of ourself um, in all of the different ways to meet our needs. It's, it's big work, but it's, yeah, I, I just love it. I'm thinking, is there anything useful we can offer people as we come out of this? Or if, if you're listening to this and you go, okay, this is, this is something's, like ringing bells and this feels like a journey I want to embark on I mean the easy the easy solution is to buy your book (laughs) that's one aside from that though jokes aside I I mean it it, not even outside of the book Um, I talk about this content online each and every day so it's really important for me to continue to to make sure that this is accessible material not only through the free medium, at least for now, that is social media, but what I mean when I say accessible is understandable. Um, I'll be the first person to say the large majority of what I'm speaking about is not new. There's been many messengers um, filtering it through their life experience and their language of a lot of this material. However, what I've experienced and what I've heard from many others is it all felt out there. Woo woo. I don't know how to translate this thing you're talking about into my daily life. So, One of my goals always is to make sure that it's accessible in that way, that when we're speaking about these concepts, we know how to build that bridge into seeing that concept alive in in my day to day and in creating change. Um, And I'll be the first one to say anyone who's listening, who hears a ping, who kind of is like, "Hmm, this is interesting. Uh, My first suggestion is always around building a foundation of consciousness, of learning how to be a conscious being, learning how to, for many of us, embody ourselves safely. If you are someone who has not felt safe in the physical body, learning how to embody our emotional self, like we've been talking about, how to make space for all of the spectrum of feelings that we're gifted with and very complicated aspect of our being, and also to make space for our essence, for who I am, for what lights me up, for how I feel most comfortable showing up in my being. Um, That is, I think, the most important part of it. And to build on that too, I think something that people can get hung up on, and maybe I've been guilty of that, that any of this work, you have an idea of what what it looks like. And an example that springs to my mind is meditation. So I spent years trying to do meditation and always felt that I wasn't doing it. And then um, a friend and, and colleague of mine, I suppose, Anna May, that talked about just doing a 10 minute shutdown. So listen to some music and close your eyes. And that is meditation, but it just felt so much more accessible. It didn't feel like there was a parameter of, of it working or not working. It was just nice, a nice chilled 10 minutes. And similarly, when I've done various forms of therapy, I'm like, this isn't working. This isn't working. I'm going to give up. What's the point? And then lo and behold, things do shift. But it's to to kind of, I don't know, to go into things just being curious rather than expect it you're not going to change yourself but you're it's it's a tiny shift isn't it and a lot of us have that voice where we're waiting we're comparing we're telling <laughs> ourselves we're not doing it right that's a sneaky voice of the ego yeah. um, that we 
that we all live with. Um, I'll be the first one to say when I met the concept of meditation um, back when I was in my early 20s, to sit still might as well have been my worst nightmare. Um, I didn't do it. My mind was racing. My body felt uncomfortable. So you know what, Clemmie? I didn't do it. Um, and I, I avoided the practice of turning inward, of being embodied within myself and my emotions for a very long time. Because mm -hmm. by my 20s, I was an expert at denying and avoiding, at being mm -hmm. out there for everyone else that, you know, again, I didn't want to. It was very uncomfortable for me to turn inward. So whoever, I, I, I missed the name of your friend. Um, very yeah, great suggestion out there, Anna Mae, and I'll be the first person to suggest for those of us who resonate with, oh, sitting feels uncomfortable, my body feels unsafe, my mind is racing, I can't do it, to begin to practice in real time. Because mm -hmm. our life can be a walking meditation, we can learn how to, and I actually believe this is the pathway to true change. Because even those of us who have a meditation practice who sit, right, for maybe 10-15 minutes mm -hmm. in the morning quietly, my question I always offer to them to observe for themselves is, okay, what does the rest of your day look like? Once you shut your meditation door and go forth, are you living from your autopilot, repeating those patterns, or are you showing up mm -hmm. each and every moment as the new moment, honoring the new moment that it is, allowing yourself to access choice? That's why I go on and on about consciousness. Because when I'm fully present, when I'm receiving the moment, I gift myself with an opportunity to not do that old reaction and to make a new choice. So even those of us who have that practice, our habits and patterns live within our day, live within how we're showing up in the world as mm -hmm. well. So we have to, as I call it, expand our conscious consciousness practice outside of that room so that we can begin to create change in real time, um, which is again, where most of us are remaining stuck. I'm having another real light bulb moment talking to you because I I gave up drinking coming up to two years ago and my, my big shift was for me is that I mean that's a whole different thing but when I was drinking I was constantly chasing that kind of blurry feeling and and then once you're sober you just you relish the clarity but what that clarity is is consciousness is is absolutely knowing what is going on what you're feeling who you're with and and yeah it's yeah, essentially alcohol blurs the consciousness, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, and I can share from my own experience as well. Um, my spaceship was my gift when I was in childhood and adolescence. And when I became, I think it was on or around 13 years old, um, I had some friends and I discovered drinking and I discovered mm -hmm. smoking pot. And mm -hmm. for me, that was my added spaceship. I knew I could go and ingest either of these two substances mm -hmm. and further check out. Mm -hmm. And then I continued in that habit um, with when things became uncomfortable or overwhelming, I would be at happy hour. I would be right hitting the pipe or smoking, you know, whatever mm -hmm. to check out. Um, and now, you know, I have gone through time where I've broken those habits so that I could pull back and create, as I suggest we all do, a conscious relationship with all of our consumption, yeah. whether it's drugs and alcohol, whether mm -hmm. it's food that you're talking about. There's many reasons that we eat outside of our body's physical needs or physiological needs, even creating beautiful, again, full circle, a conscious relationship with how we're consuming online content. Mm -hmm. right? And I am always of the belief, not of restrictions, 
but of consciousness. Because mm-hmm. if I show up consciously and I ingest the thing, whatever it is, and if time and time again, I tune into how I feel, what happens as a result, if I accumulate some, quote unquote, I don't love to use positive and negative distinguishers, mm-hmm. but if I accumulate some consequences, some things that I would prefer not happen, right, as a result of it, now I can gift myself with the opportunity to make a new conscious choice. So for me, alcohol still abounds. I live in a, a city where pot smoking is legalized, mm-hmm. right? So my choice now is when I go to have that drink, which I do very infrequently, or if I go mm-hmm. to smoke, right, why am I doing that? And I do still at times have that tendency to be like, because I'm stressed out and I want to check mm-hmm. out right now. And that's fine. <laughs> moment I can give myself the choice. Mm. And that is beautiful. I love that you were that. Sometimes I choose not to. And then maybe I do choose to have one drink in that mm. moment, but I'm conscious. I know what mm. I'm doing. I'm mm-hmm. not doing it. it slipped down, right? The rabbit hole of that's what I do to avoid my feelings. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting because as we, yeah, to go back to the social media, we all know when we're consuming that unconsciously, when you go into the scroll hole and, and, and it feels rubbish. Actually going on Instagram, learning some good stuff checking out some things that you like and and coming off it in a very conscious knowing way is absolutely fine it's when yeah when we go into that other state that is is problematic i'm smiling i love that the scroll hole and that too i'll share my own experience i know my stress scroll hole I know where to go to get it for my hit. I know all the places online that will stress me out. Mm. And there are moments where I can be, right, the witnesser of myself. I can, because I'm likely stressed, my mind, right, is like, oh, what's the thing that's stressing out? Oh, right, that person over there that's really bugging you today. So you know what? I'm on that person's page bugging myself more. And in that moment, yeah, sometimes I allow myself to be bugged for a couple minutes and I make it a joke um, with my partner now, Lolly. I often say, I just need a minute to annoy myself and then I regroup, right? And then I shift. So I will, you know, share all of the examples of online, how I can, you know, activate myself, though the gift I have now is the awareness. I know then that down my scroll hole, right? And I'm having an overwhelm of stress. It's because of the choices I made. I I did it. I participated in it. And knowing that we could relieve ourselves of the shame of it, it allows me to gift myself with a new choice. It allows me to say, okay, do I want to go down my scroll hole right now or not? Or would it benefit me? Or can I make a new choice in this moment? It's so true. It's so true. And and yeah, once we know what we're doing, we can begin to help ourselves out and we begin, you know, it feels, some of these things becomes, feels like it's a cliche, but it is true of treating yourself like you treat your, your friends and, and be, be kind to one yourself and say, hold up, what you're doing isn't very nice, do something else. And yeah, it only, yeah, it only leads to good things. I massively believe that. For a lot of us, it's the most difficult shift to make, to treat ourselves in the kind of way practice self-love, which is honoring, right? Our whole self, all of our needs in any given moment. So many of us are so much better uh, at advising everyone else to do that or at showing up in a very kind way for everyone else, though we are the number one critic of ourselves. Yeah. And all we do is tear ourselves down because on some very core level, um, the most universal core negative self-belief I've ever seen 
that I also have myself is of not being worthy, um, of not being lovable. And it's really hard. And that's when that voice comes up, right? Well, Mm -hmm. I don't deserve to have my needs met in this moment. Yet it's so easy for us to assume our others deserve it as opposed to ourselves. Do you think that is just the human state to think that? Or do you think that is uh, only a result of trauma? I think as a result, being human is hard. Um, and so to to be an ideal parent, if you will, which I've really yet to meet the person who, who has had that, um, we really need to have a whole individual who's able to honor, again, their physical, spiritual, and emotional mm-hmm. needs to regulate them enough to then show up in service of their infant, their child, to then make them themselves available to first meet the child's needs in fullness and then transition the child into meeting their own needs. That's a whole very hard thing to do. And, and, and better yeah. of us have that wholeness because we were impacted, right, by those that came before us, by how we were raised, by how our parents and our grandparents and all of these are conditioned habits and patterns that ultimately result in a limitation in some area yeah. that I inevitable. I believe we're born whole. Um, we're born feeling worthy, feeling lovable. Mm-hmm. And then as a for some of us of things that begin to happen when we're in utero of beliefs that our mom might have about us or stresses that they might have around our pregnancy. As I lived, I was born to a mother who 38 years ago was 42 when she had me. Mm-hmm. At that time, the risk or the believed risk of Down syndrome in particular was very high. My mother already had one previous child, my sister, who's 15 years older than me with severe health issues. So right? My mom, I can only imagine very understandably was nervous as hell, right? When I was in her belly. So a wash with cortisol, a wash with stress mm-hmm. hormones and knows what kind of thoughts um, were happening. So she was like having and transmitting to me. So I believe again, we're born in wholeness. However, our environments, including our in utero environments really do carry an impact mm-hmm. in that away. So I do believe it becomes quite universally to speak to yeah. the human that most of us end up living into, though, as all things, I believe, can be unlearned. We can peel back layering of that conditioning and we can become someone who in our adulthood is able to honor our whole self and to practice that love and to then as a result feel truly worthy. I mean, you can. I, I'm, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, you know, name, name one toddler and one name one really old person. Those those two extremes usually say exactly what they think, do exactly what they want. You know, brilliantly belligerent, and yeah. and I think that is testament probably to this exact cycle that we're talking about. Yeah. Toddlers, children, I always speak of how much we can learn from them, how bound they are when they don't want it. They say no. They slap your hand away. They tell you they're in their essence. They're in their presence. They're just yeah. being. And then yeah. again, as a result of experiences and their circumstances, we begin to modify because children are also incredibly adaptive. So we will learn how to fit our places in, how to wear the mask, how to assume the roles, right? As a result of our environment. And that just happens, right? And again, creating that onion layers over time. This is just unpicking. And as I'm sitting here, I'm a I've got three kids and and you can be absolutely crippled by fear about the damage that you're doing. But again, all you can do is this parent in the most conscious manner that you can and show up for yourself as a parent. I think that's a real generational shift um, and, and hope for the best. 
couldn't agree more. The when I ever get any sort of question from parents, um, though I'm not a parent, so I can't fully resonate with how it is um, to have a child and to operate as a parent. Um, usually, the question is some version of right: How do I help my kid? How do I, you know, create a environment where my child won't, you know, suffer in the same way that I have? Very well intentioned. I don't think I ever respond with the answer that parents are intending or wanting from me because my answer usually is not of what to say or what to do in terms of how to intervene with our child. My answer is how to focus on self Mm. because I know that the most impactful teacher for a child is what is modeled around them to them, how they experience Mm as parent in relationship with them. Um, So as much as we want to focus outward, again, in a very well-intentioned way to show up in service of, say, our child, the best way that we can show up in service of our child is to do the work of healing ourselves, is to become Mm -hmm. an integrated being ourselves. Which I think is it can be a huge gift to some people because if we all, or many people have a, like damaged self worth, it can be quite hard to allow yourself the gift of of this healing. But it's much easier for us to understand like gifting it to our child. And so yeah, it can. I hope for any parents listening, you know, if you can't do it for yourself, do it for your child. And and that in turn, yeah, it's, it's a brilliant full circle on it. I suppose. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's the the most the greatest gift we can give, even outside of our children, to any any relationship we have, yeah. honestly, to the collective. That's why I created the self healers hashtag when I created the account. Um, really, with the focus on, I believe that's how change happens. As we become whole, as we live into our truth, and as you know, we begin to share it. Not at large, like you and I are, um, at small with our friends, as we just embrace ourselves authentically and show up. I believe that's in service of collective change that I know most of us in the collective are screaming out for that we know is necessary. Um, and again, I believe it's in honoring ourselves and doing the work of self-healing and becoming whole and then allow allowing those ripples to quite literally change the world around us. I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, but that, it, it all starts with yourself. So three questions before, as I wind to the end. Number one, where can people find you? Not like your home address. That would be weird. <laughs> well, I am located on, no, I'm just joking. Um, the holistic.psychologist on Instagram is where you'll see me day in and day out. Again, like I said earlier, putting out healing content, sharing my own journey. And also you can meet and integrate into the amazing community of self healers. So all of the other humans around the world um, that are showing up in this way for themselves and for their communities. I have a new website that is being revamped and being unveiled in the next couple days or week at yourholisticpsychologist.com. Um, so I have some free goodies on there, future self-journal template. So anyone else who likes journaling um, to help them create some change in their life, as well as some guided meditations that go along with the book. So anyone out there who has the book or who's purchasing the book, I should say, um, can grab the guided meditations ah. on there. And another revamp which is super exciting of my YouTube channel. So those of you who like the YouTube format can find me at, again, The Holistic Psychologist. Yes, you are. That's where you can, she's all over, but I I couldn't, couldn't, well, most people have already found you, but if, if you haven't, I kind of feel envious. It's a bit like when people haven't yet watched a great TV show and they're about to start, if they haven't found your work, they're, they're in for a treat. 
then two questions to tie back to the theme of the podcast. Um, do you think honesty is important? And if so, why? I, honesty is integral. Um, and the type of honesty that I'm speaking of begins first with honesty about the self, self-honesty, really becoming a witness to your being, uh, mm-hmm. to all of the habits and patterns, again, that many of us are living on repeat, to our emotions and many of the wounds that we've carried with us throughout a lifetime. Um, honesty is integral. And like I said earlier, if we're not gifting ourselves with that very difficult, very vulnerable honesty, we're not going to be able to translate that to the world, to our relationships and to other people. Um, so that's that's why um, I think our goal is in service, like I said, of becoming whole um, and in self-expressing and being who we are and how we are. And that happens, like I said, when we become honest with ourselves, and then when we become vulnerable um, and we become honest with the world around us. Yes, yes. It's the one. Although it's quite funny that when you become a, like a champion of honesty, and then you have to accept when people are honest back with you, and like go, oh, yeah, yes, yes, to have. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I, I've asked for this. I'm not enjoying it, but you know, if you can find a, it's interesting because you put a post up the other day which says no adult can hold another um, adult responsible, and I was like, oh, is that in contradiction to that? But it's not, is it? It's like. Oh, you do want to find adults who will be honest with you, but you don't, they don't. Yeah. I'm trying to unpick it in my head as I'm speaking. What I, what I, what I, I, what I know to be true, um, contrary to what a lot of us like to believe, we can't control the world around us, others. (laughs) That's really what that type of post is based out of. Um, Mm -hmm. We can't force responsibility. Responsibility is an action. It's assuming again, with the self, with one's role in the whatever experience they're creating in their life or co-creating. Um, and that can't be forced. And often then it does translate right into an action that is responsibility, mm-hmm. assuming the role I've played and possibly again, creating change given whatever that experience is. Yeah. So I'm trying to think of an example. I can say to someone, you behave in this way, but I can't demand that they change that behavior so that's where honesty and this honesty and control are different things this is where we can honor right the effects of someone else's behavior as they have on us especially when they cross a boundary or create an unsafe situation and then in that moment the way we can practice self-love is by putting up that boundary Mm -hmm. um Accepting that we can't control the world around us or the people around us, I should say, doesn't mean that we have to continue to interact with the people around us in that way. We can accept the knowledge, own the effect that it has on us and decide that we need a separation or a boundary or a protection, Mm -hmm. whatever that might be. That's the most empowered place to be Um, because like I said, we can't anticipate that everyone's going to honor our requests or our wishes in any given moment. We are the only person that has a chance at showing up and embodying that role. Mm -hmm. It's really big, isn't it? Isn't it mad to like try and get, you you can't control the world. It is. I was like, oh, I've spent, I've moved on from that, but I spent a good chunk of my life trying to do that. Yeah, and a lot of us do because the world did feel overwhelming, was overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Um, Control is an attempt at safety. Mm -hmm. If I can't control, a lot of us seek to control by just narrating and anticipating. And if I can travel down every worst case scenario, somehow I feel more in control of the uncertainty of what happens next that we'll never get to know until next comes, until we're in that moment. So 
attempt control at a lot of different ways. And if you're listening and you resonate with that experience, again, honoring where it came from. Mm -hmm. Chances are that drive to control came out of fear, came out of overwhelm, came out of something that possibly was difficult at a time when you lacked the support. So attempting to control or, you know, uh, imagining one can control and all of the energy that we expend to do that is a very understandable attempt at creating safety. However, if we can understand the impossibility of that, turn inward and focus on that which we can control, then we enter that empowered space. And to add some compassion to yourself, what I've how I've unpicked it a bit in my head is like sometimes that control in terms of being organized and getting shit done, that's great. And it's going, okay, this is a good place to put that energy. This is a place that is unhelpful. And it, you know, I don't want to erase all of that from myself. And I think that's often the case, isn't it, with these kind of traits. It's like there is a really good bit that has done me really well, and there's a bit when it veers into being unhealthy. And that's where consciousness comes into play, right? Because I am someone who as a channel, as a as my my other spaceship was my over focus on achievement, on doing, on doing, 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 on accumulating all of the letters after my name that I have, all of the accolades that I have, doing, doing, doing. And yeah, I'm still a doer. There is still a part of me that is successful and feels good when I channel my energy into the creations that I now put into the world that are in alignment. That feels good for me. I get Mm -hmm. choice. I don't have to perform to feel better as I once did. So anytime we gift ourselves with choice, in my opinion, we enter that empowered space of being able to create what happens and then furthermore, the future that we live into. So true. Final question. My book, But Why, was all about answering questions from kids. And a, a theme that runs through it is I ask loads of people, what do you wish you had known when you were a kid? What a, what a great question. What do I wish I had known when I was a kid? Um, I wish I had known that I was considered, um, that there were supports out there, and that the reason why I felt alone as I did um, was because again of the very real limitations and stress that was happening within in my family. Because one of my core beliefs is around this: the way my brain languages it is, I'm not considered. Um, and it wasn't that I wasn't considered. Mm-hmm. I now realize. I now realize um, that focus was elsewhere. Um, Because again, my parents are humans that were living in their own dysregulated circumstances, trying the best that they could. Um, And when we're in childhood, it's very hard to have that perspective. Mm -hmm. Developmentally, we can't. There is Mm -hmm. a focus on self. We're egocentric. Mm -hmm. We only see and feel the effect that it has on us. So many moments led me down to entertain that belief of, well, my parents don't consider me probably hand in hand with that belief I shared earlier. Well, why? Because I'm not lovable unless I'm performing, because I'm not enough unless I'm performing. So that all got wrapped up together. Um, So as much I hesitated on answering, because I kind of almost like played devil's advocate in my head to say, well, if I would have known that, you know, how would that have been helpful still in that circumstance? So I know we can drive ourselves crazy even. Mm -hmm. Um, So the other answer is maybe nothing, right? Mm -hmm. This was my journey on this Mm -hmm. planet. I had had to live those experiences to have that dark night of the soul, to shift me into that curious mm-hmm. space, to embody now this journey of healing. So I guess maybe the on- honest answer, since we're going to end on honesty, yeah. nothing, nothing is I would have lived 
same journey that I've lived, knowing that there was, you know, a path I was taking um, that ultimately was going to translate into what I truly now believe is my purpose here. And that's just my belief. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that anyone out there listening that's lived other circumstances has to reframe their experiences in that way. That's what I have found helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we wouldn't really want to have adult wisdom in a child's head because, as we've just said, those kids, those kids have got it. You know, <laughs> they know loads of it. It's all in them. It's just yeah. So we. So yeah, you're exactly right. Well, as I end, I just want to say I. I hope that you can depart from your spaceship enough to be able to really sit in what you've what you've created, and especially in the in this part with the book, because writing a book is the most wild experience, and it's so weird when it goes out into the world. I'm not at that point yet because I'm not published till May, but it's quite disconnected from the time when you wrote it, and so to access it is all quite strange, I imagine. And and every day, I mean, that's the thing about healing; it's a daily commitment to for me, make the space. Um, mm. I'm busy. I have a lot of podcast appearances. I'm doing, doing, doing mm. yet. Now I know to keep myself in balance. There has to be moments as I do build into my life now where I'm not, where I can allow myself to settle into how do I feel with the mm. book coming out in five days or whatever it is. Mm. How is this for me to be sharing this, this story with the world? And um, so for me, it's a daily commitment um, to give myself that time to tune in to how I'm doing as a mm-hmm. result of all of this. Because you're you're doing great. You're doing really great. You're doing wonderful, important, valuable work. So thank you very much on behalf of everybody that you've helped and mainly on behalf of myself. <laughs> of course. And I share that right back with you, Clemmy. Thank you for carving out your time and energy to speak with me. And again, for how you continue to embody yourself and show up in the world and share your story so vulnerably. So thank you. Thank you so much. It's been an it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm going to have to go for a long walk now, and it's dark, but to try and like digest, you know. Yeah, I think people don't talk about that enough. When you do this kind of work, I won't just press leave and just be like go on with my evening. You know, my brain's got to process all of our conversation as well. Yeah, that's different. I, I call myself a turtle in that respect because um, for me, it's very hard for me to process right away. It takes mm. time, so me i i have waves of processing that come out after any event whatever it might be um and i've learned that about myself by just living in my body i'm not quick if something happens and my partner as she often does say oh how are you how do you feel now my answer is i don't know i'll check out with you you and it might be hours it might be days until Mm -hmm. i figure it out so again this is where we're different and the goal of healing, again, is to be connected to self, to be a witness to self, to know those things about self. So I know I'm a turtle um, and I know things take time. So I'm not surprised. I don't fully know how I feel about a book coming out in the world yet in five days because I'm still feeling my way into how I feel. Yeah. And then like a random time in two weeks, a month, you'll have a day which feels something and you it's it's trying yeah. to know that, that you're like, oh, this is it. <laughs> Although I have to say that in the moment when you first submit, I did feel all the feelings like the day you send off the actual I mean it's up there with one of the biggest kind of yeah fear, actual feeling the feelings in the moment which is just pure relief I think more than anything yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's big so thank you I'm going to wind it up there that was amazing uh, but again some more honesty coming from me 
In the time between uh, saying goodbye at the end of that episode and now recording this, I have done something very classic. I have been worrying that I overstepped my own boundaries by sharing some of my learnings from therapy. I worried that I did a bit of emotional dumping at the beginning and just talked through all the stuff that was worrying me. And then after doing that classic bit of self-sabotage, I have then spoken to myself a bit more kindly and understood that actually podcasting is quite strange in that more often than not, I will never have met or spoken to the person before the moment the mics turn on. And then for an hour, you go into a very, very intimate relationship where it's just the two of you talking and then at the end you say goodbye and that's probably it now there isn't many examples of going from strangers to that level of intimacy to never seeing each other again and if they are well probably we shouldn't be thinking about them and they're quite different from this anyway i guess that is why it sometimes takes me a bit of processing because i want to show up and be open and share myself but i have to also accept that there isn't going to be an ongoing relationship with the person I've spoken to, and that's quite unusual. So that's my take of it. This is why I think therapy is really useful to me, because I have learned to be conscious of my own thinking, to give myself time to process this stuff, and to, yeah, just be okay with some of my eccentricities. Although maybe the people in my life would (laughs) argue that maybe it's not so okay. I'm joking. It's fine. And I'm just rabbiting on now. Thank you so much for listening. While we're being kind of open and vulnerable, this is a shameless plug to say, please do subscribe. Please do leave a rating or review. It makes a massive difference. And please do tune in next week. Look forward to seeing you then. Goodbye.